Okay. You Here we go. Make your own decision. Here we go. Yep. Next is the tattoo. Next is the tattoo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Watch out. I know. Oh, we're so we're so there. Can you remind me how old your boys are? Happy almost spring, everybody. Hey, it's Amy Vallejo with Social Creative Conversations. And I am so happy to have you with me today. I am in a particularly happy mood today. There is sunny skies outside in Seattle right now. And I just heard that my kids might be going back to in-person school in April. I'm so excited. I mean, just think about that. We are hitting the one-year anniversary of a worldwide pandemic. And what a hard year it was for all of us. But there is hope on the horizon. And that is worth all the happiness and celebration. Not only that, is that I get to share with you right now a profound and beautiful story of fellow woman entrepreneur and incredible human being and friend, Deanna Kitchen of Twig and Vine and the Growing Kindness Project. You may have heard of Growing Kindness Project already, but if you haven't, I think it's best summed up with this Anne Frank quote that Deanna mentioned, no one has ever become poor by giving. I just love that. And I am so excited to share with you a little bit more of Growing Kindness Project. But the way we do it is so wonderful because it's exactly how I wanted this podcast to feel. I really wanted this podcast to give you a look behind the scenes. Whether you own a business or you are a busy mom or you are hustling in your career, we all have a life that is separate from what we do. We do so many things in a day and I think sometimes I fail to see all those and feel like I haven't gotten anything done. So today's conversation, we got to take a look at Deanna's life. You know, with Twig and Vine, she's a flower farmer. She's a floral designer. She's a wife of nearly 20 years. And she's a mom of three boys. And we get to talk about what a day in the life is for her. You know, one of the things that I tell all the guests who come on this podcast is it is really important to me. Conversation felt natural. It wasn't produced. It was just two women talking about life. And so with this conversation, it truly did just that. Of course, I had questions. I I have a process, but I let Deanna go and she walks us through the beginnings of how Growing Kindness Project and Twig and Vine started. It all started with an affection and a passion for horses as it turns out, which is a very funny story because she tells the irony of all of that now in her life. And then she walks us through all of these moments that are threaded together to get her to where she is now, which is an incredibly beautiful and flourishing Dahlia Floral Farm and a nonprofit that has gone worldwide by using Dahlia's as a catalyst to kindness, which heals. Is that not beautiful? She shares how it all started with a squeaky wagon full of flowers freely offered for the joy of it. We kind of talk a little bit about this culture of scarcity, how sometimes it's really scary to give freely, and how this nonprofit organization has grown 
to having ambassadors all over the world who grow flowers for the sole purpose of giving to others so it can be replicated to spread kindness and joy all over the world. Sometimes it's just that easy. She has a huge Dahlia sale coming up on March 20th that actually half of the proceeds fund the further advancement of Growing Kindness Project. Be sure to listen all the way to the end for a special event coming May 7 that Growing Kindness Project is a big part of. And if you are listening to this to find out if you won the Dahlia Tuber giveaway... Don't worry, we do announce the winner. And I can't wait until you hear your name. All right, put those headphones in, get your hands in some dirt, and prepare your heart to be flooded with joy. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hey. Yeah, I think so. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Good. I never know I'm like too close, too far. How close should I get? This is good, just right here. Just do you see those nose hairs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're close enough. Exactly. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Are yeah you how about you? Catching a breather on the floor, trying to breathe a little bit. I am. I was like, where am I gonna sit? I'm like, I'm gonna sit on the floor where it's comfortable. <laughs> are you in a closet? Because that's a closet. I'm super impressed with the cuteness of your kids' you know, closet. Last time I was in a closet, this time you, you are coming in about two seconds after our house was just like yelling and screaming. And I was like, just take the kids on a walk. Just take them on a walk. Oh, mom. I just, I just had my kids. We were, we usually do like, we call it contributions. Like everybody helps. And I was like, contributions are over. Everybody in the bedroom now. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Do you remind me how old your boys are? 11 is the oldest. And then my middle will be eight this Sunday. Okay. And then my youngest just turned six. Oh, we're like just one little stair step ahead of you. So our, our, our gaps are very similar because we're yeah. 13, 10 and seven, but my 10 and seven are turning 11 and eight this spring, which oh, I, yeah. I can't wrap my mind around that. Oh, like I'm just, it, I'm not ready for that, Yeah, which I'm glad I'm like, I don't have to, their birthday's still a couple, like, right. <laughs> I have a, like a month and a half away. Yeah. I have time. Have There's a still teenager. Time. Yes. That's a oh. whole new season. Oh, whole new season. Man. It's really, I'm like, oh, it makes you actually simultaneously want to tear your hair out. Yeah. And also have so much empathy for remembering what it felt like to be in that age. And it just feels like the world is like kind of coming unraveled for you sometimes. And yeah. you're just trying to figure out, it's just such a dance between being, just being a kid and just being carefree and then wanting to be older and cooler and adult-like. And yeah. anyways, so yeah. it's, and it's like, I don't know, my sister and I um, calls me to remember <laughs> that, that, that brain development, like when we talk about like they flip their lid. Yeah it really like they're they flip out of the the switch turns off from like rational cognitive thinking to like reptilian brain and yeah I remember that and have grace for this little Jekyll and Hyde before me yeah because it's wonderful too like we've had we have really great conversations he's getting so independent and responsible but it can be like 110 one day and like nothing the next day so Mm -hmm. it kind of feels a little extreme at times that we're starting to get there where it's just big emotions Big yes. but it's yes. also great because you yes. sort of feel like the conversation level has stepped stepped up. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, we're really having a genuine, wonderful mm-hmm. conversation. This is so great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it is. Well, thank you. 
I know you're super busy with preparing your big release of everything. And just like even this morning when you were like, I've been uh, cutting tubers all morning, just yep. like, yeah, yep. give me just like, give me a snapshot into what a day in the life of Deanna is like, like for today, what, what we're all for today. Things. Oh, yeah. okay. Tell me today. Uh, today. Yeah. Okay. That can always feel funny. Like, really? Isn't that kind of boring? Do you really want to know what goes on in my no, day? But, I think um, it is fun. I know it's one of those you things. Do so much. We think, I think it's like when we see other people's houses too, like, it's just my living room. Like, yeah, but I want to see what it's like, you know, like it's fun to see inside people's yeah. spaces and see yeah. inside their space and their, their days and their schedules. And I always love that too. Like I look at so many people and wonder like, how do you get done what you do in a day. And I think that we often have like big um, misconceptions about what would they actually get done or what tasks they actually handle and what gets delegated and that kind of thing. But yeah, so our, my day starts, I usually get up like five 30 or six. Mm-hmm. Um, and this morning that was about the time. And I usually try to have some quiet time to myself, um, mm-hmm. to kind of just focus and right. you know, like reset on priorities and the things that I value most and kind of have intentions for the day and new in our household since the pandemic, my children have taken it upon themselves. This is like, I should be celebrating <laughs> to get up really early. So that used to be like my quiet time to myself. Right. So my older boys started setting alarms so they could get up early in the morning, which I'm like, oh go you responsible farm kids, but also please can I have my time back? Um, but all this to say my little guy, uh, my middle, my middle son got up and um, curled, curled up with me on the couch and um, which is super sweet. And then after I had a little bit of time with him and doing those things, I jumped on and that was like, I don't know, probably like by seven by then. And that's also the like, get up, throw a load of laundry and, right. you know, of course yeah. have some quiet. There's always like, a load of laundry totally, or yeah, empty totally. the dishwasher. Right. Um, and then that's the early morning after I've had a little time to myself is usually when I jump in on just like some of the admin stuff on our business and the nonprofit. So this morning was on the phone with the bank and answering some emails. I mean, just, you know, yeah. just the stuff. And then we had kind of a non-typical day today. So we we're homeschooling full-time um, right. again, which last year was interesting for us. We put all three of our kids in public school for the first time last year, oh. which was like, ha ha, oh, jokes on you. <laughs> not really. I think you're doing that, but you're not. So <laughs> the irony was last year at this time, when school shut down was the day before our Dally Trooper sale launched oh. and then school shuts down. So we're like, whoa, how are we going to navigate this? The kids were amazing. The kids, we couldn't have a packing crew. So the kids, Emmett was on his rollerblades. So we put, we put an audible. I just kept throwing (laughs) snacks at them and they stamped thousands, hand stamped thousands of Dahlia tubers us together. Like that was our quarantine. (laughs) But anyways, that's not a typical day. Yeah. Typical day. We jump in and start homeschool you know, after breakfast, but this morning we had breakfast together and my two littles, um, I got them going on some independent activities. And then I did have a volunteer come who is helping, um, from the grind kindness project mm. to help divide value tubers, which is kind of a 
It feels like a daunting task at this time of the year, but we always get it done. And then, yeah, just kind of popped in and out with the kids, checking on them and their progress. And then we had lunch together and I had a Zoom meeting with my amazing friend, Heather, who has come alongside me with the Growing Kindness Project and is helping with, helping isn't even the right word for her. She is carrying me along in this project. Um, Yeah. She's really um, taken the lead on a lot of the administration and just organization and systems. And so we had a Zoom call to go over some kind of next pieces that are coming yeah. up. And then I had another volunteer who, um, from the Great Kindness Project who came. We divided more dahlias. How many are you dividing? What what number? I know it's in the hundreds. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we, we grew last year. We grew... I am not a data-driven person. Yeah. I'm just like, if it works, it works. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't pull numbers on the field when I harvest. Uh, we had one row last year that was in a really wet space that didn't do well. So we pulled that out of our, most of that out of our final count, but we were in between 700 and 800 plants. Oh my God. So 700, 800, like individual dahlias. And then from those, you know, they grow those like amazing um, yeah. clumps of tubers. So from those, it really varies from plant to plant. Like some of them you'll get, you know, a handful mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, if they just didn't do great, or maybe they got broken in, in storage and you'll just get like three or four. And some of them you'll get like 10 or 12 or 20, you know, on some of the varieties, they just crank out tubers. The challenge with tubers, I was laughing with um, the gal who was volunteering helping today is that they're not like potatoes, you know, with potatoes, they have eyes on them and you can just chop them in half. And there you go. There's two potatoes, Mm -hmm. but dahlias, it's a pretty meticulous process because the eyes are only on one tiny spot where they like attach Mm -hmm. the stem Mm -hmm. and they're like sometimes as small as a pinprick. Mm-hmm. So it's very meticulous, making sure that every one of them has a viable eye, mm-hmm. um, but you get in a groove of it for sure. It becomes muscle memory. And then when I go to bed at night and like lay down and close my eyes, all I can see is Dahlia <laughs> Like really, you know, you've done a task like repetitively and right. you close your eyes and you're like, oh no, please. Like I've seen this enough today. Um, but yeah, so d- lots and lots dividing. That's a really big part. This is actually the latest in the season that we've divided, which has benefits. They're easier to divide later in the spring because the eyes are more developed. So it's not like hunting for a needle in a haystack, Mm -hmm. but it's just a little bit more of a time crunch for us right now. So yeah, yeah, I divided dahlias and then um, my oldest was, he went with my husband to work Um, today. He's getting to do something new and go to work with him and help. He takes his school and does work at dad's office. Oh, and then cool. helps out, helps out. Cause they have, a, you know, like with some just tasks and management things. Yeah. And so he got home. So he chatted for a while and then we started this. I don't know when this gal I follow farmhouse schoolhouse. She's lovely. Yeah. She does this thing with her kids. They call it contributions. And I just think it was, it was really lovely. So we started doing that several months ago that everybody helps reset the house at the end of the homeschool day, which we kind of didn't have a typical homeschool day, but anyways, we spend like 30 minutes and everybody picks a task and we just turn music and everybody helps tidy up and put things back in order. And it like has been life-giving. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah. So the kids are helping with that. And then I like looked at the clock and was like, Oh no, podcast time. Everybody <laughs> in your room. Shh, be quiet. That was so, fun. Yeah, no, that's, get out. That's, <laughs> Yeah. The house, my one son, he was washing eggs. Cause you know, we live on a farm and the yeah. chicken eggs have to get washed every day. He was washing eggs and he's like, but I don't want to do this. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I'll, do, I'll finish them for you. <laughs> like you're, you're out. You're like, you, you get the, the free pass today. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of our day. I mean, it it wasn't an entirely typical day, but also not entirely out of the ordinary either. No, right. No, we never do. No. Yeah. 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 There's always constant like flexing and changing and shifting, especially, you know, like when you live on a farm, like there are days, we had lots of days this spring where so we have, um, my, my oldest has, um, sheep. Mm-hmm. And so we had lambs lambing the last month, which is so, so incredibly miraculous yeah. and a little bit exhausting too, you know, right at the beginning, which I'm grateful that he has a small manageable size herd mm-hmm. or flock. I always called a herd, but he has, he has a manageable size number, but it's still, you know, you're just always kind of rolling with the punches. Like let's start school. Never mind, There's animals out or right. you know, someone's having a baby or yeah, but it's really good too. It's good. I mean, it's real. like, it's probably more real life training than, than, than it isn't. So, right. So yeah. I know you have, you have a Dahlia farm. Are you also a separate mm-hmm. working farm for other things? No, I would say no. that we okay. really fall under the, um, the umbrella of hobby farm more oh, okay. than anything, yeah. um, in terms of everything else going on the farm. So we, um, we have a 10 acre farm or mostly, um, flat and open field right. around Conway, Washington, which if you visited the tulip festival, you go by Conway on the way there. So we're just a little tiny map dot, you know, a mm-hmm. gas station and a pub and a school and a post office. And that's about it. <laughs> but yeah, we have 10 acres and a little bit of everything. And we're kind of, it's all just a lot of dabbling. So like we have, you know, a, a mule and a horse. Some people, some, some men have a midlife crisis and get <laughs> like a red sports car. My husband got a mule. <laughs> So we have a mule and a horse and um, sheep and chickens and oh pigs. Um, my my middle son um, has been raising pigs for the last couple of years. Um, so it's a lot of like small scale, you know, like we're not raising meat and reselling meat or like have an egg business or anything like that. It's really all those pieces are just for the life skill experience for the kids and the joy. And because there's something really I don't know. There's just something for us. that's really joyful about getting to have animals and raise animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I was going to say, are either you or your husband from a childhood that was on a farm? Because yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. We both, I didn't get, we didn't, my family, we moved to kind of a more rural area and were able to start getting animals when I was 11. That was actually really pivotal for me because I got a horse. Um, mm-hmm. And that really like actually ironically put me on the path that brought me to flower farming, but yeah, and he grew up, um, you know, always, they always had kind of a little bit of everything. And then when he was middle school age, his, um, dad kind of got pretty serious into, um, raising black Angus. And so that's what his parents do now. So yeah, yeah we're kind of, it's kind of, kind of in our blood. Like once you, I don't know, once you have that experience, we just really wanted that for our kids, like the experience of yeah. just having that, that space and also that connection to, raising animals and the responsibility and husbandry of caring for animals. So it wasn't like it happened right away though. We, someone was just asking me about this today. So we, we got married really young. We were, I turned, I turned 20 on our honeymoon Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we didn't actually buy, you know, a place where we had the capacity to have animals until we were like 26. We had an acre and got chickens. And then when we bought this farm five years ago was when we finally kind of like realize the dream. So I guess it's, it's always really good for me to look back at that and remember there's no overnight, like this is what we're dreaming for. It's going to happen instantaneous. So what did you do pre twig and vine? Oh, uh, great question. Um, so I, 
I was an elementary school teacher. Yeah. I taught kindergarten for five years, a little bit kindergarten plus I taught fourth grade in there for a year. And yeah, I actually mentioned earlier that homeschooling, it was the horses that like brought me to the, um, brought me to flower farming. So when I was a kid, I was horse obsessed, not like just like a little bit, like eat, sleep, breathe. Like I just was passionate about them, but growing up my mom, my like mom and dad are the most amazing, incredible people and finances were really limited. And and they were always encouraged us to dream big, but also like, okay, how can we help you find a way to do this? Um, and so when I was 11, we moved to the, the place where I grew up, um, from that point on and we had property. So I had the capacity to get a horse. So I saved up money to get a pony by weeding people's flower beds and yards. And then that led to a job working in the little um, town nurse, like nursery watering plants and weeding, which led to a job in a flower shop. Um, And at this point, those were all just like, those were just a means to an end. Like those were just a way to get me to my horses. (laughs) But it really kind of like set the stage for me um, to realize it was something that was really joyful. um, And I, that I kept coming back to, it never, ever once occurred to me that that could be a career, Um, which is why in my horse crazy obsession, I thought I was going to go into a career with horses. I thought for Mm -hmm. sure I was going to go into like therapeutic riding instruction where I could like work with kids and horses and just really quickly started to realize that it probably wasn't like the best life fit, but even though I was passionate about horses, it wasn't necessarily a great career option for me, which is why I started kind of peeling away the layers and realizing that it was working with kids that I really loved. So that's why I went into elementary education. So it was, yeah, I taught for like, yeah, I think it was five years and some odd change before we had our second. So when our second little boy was born, I decided to um, resign my teaching position and I was staying home full-time. Gardening just kind of became my thing. Um, I actually was struggling with postpartum depression and I just needed like I mean, we all know the research on it, that to get our hands in the dirt literally is so good for our mental health and, you know, outside in the fresh air and sunshine. And it just, um, it became a part of my habit in my day and I found a lot of joy in it. And that was where it kind of started the wheel spinning of like, Hey, is this something I could do from home? Would this be a way to, um, you know, have some added income at that point? I just resigned my position. So that's kind of how I taste business. So, hmm. That's awesome. That's such a cool story. Just in the sense of the slow progression, even though you didn't realize it at the time, Mm -hmm. right? Like it was Mm -hmm. all, it was all gold on horses, (laughs) but you know, now to look back and see that whole, like all those little mini stepping stones and how that presents itself in your life now is really cool to see. Yeah. Um, It's been fun to look back and see the the threads that have woven through. And there's definitely, you know, you realize at that point I was so passionate about horses, but really also it was like, it was a lifestyle, you know, it was like that connection to animals and farm farming and agriculture that I really also loved and was attracted to. And so that's kind of stayed, you know, stayed woven through through our days in our life. The ironic, hilarious thing now is I'm so allergic to horses. I can't actually ride our horse. Oh but, my gosh. Uh, you know, <laughs> things have a way of working out. So probably good that I didn't go into therapeutic <laughs> instruction because <laughs> you know, there's that. 
Yeah, there is that. Yeah, oh my goodness. No, it's been, it's been really, it's been a journey even in the flower, like even since then, you know, like launching, you know, it started out with, you know, at that point, it was just this idea of like, could I do something with flowers? And I didn't really have in my head, there was like, well, you can have a flower shop, which I knew I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. I loved my experience working with my flower shop at at the flower shop in my high school, I had a wonderful boss and I saw how hard she worked. And I just, I did, I, there was nothing about that, that, that I, um, I didn't want the, the schedule and the, the expectations, um, of a flower shop. But at the same time too, there wasn't really a lot that was on my radar. That was also, um, a flower career that you could do besides design. And so, um, I was like, well, I'll, I'll be a wedding designer. I'll just, I'll do that. You know, this, this will be great. Yeah. And what I found was it was, you know, it was a great way to start a little business. You know, I could start small, but it, it hit all of, it hit all the low notes. It did not hit the high notes. Um, it tapped into all the things that were really challenging for me and the things that were already kind of a deficit. So, you know, giving up the, our family time on the weekends, like when my husband already worked a really busy schedule during the week was a real big sacrifice. And our kids were really little. So inevitably like someone would be up all night, you know, the night before a wedding and, you know, just, it wasn't a good season of life for that, but it also, I realized that it, it wasn't my strengths. Um, you know, wedding designers need such a high, Oh, I mean, you, you know, like, you know, this drill, it's so much about systems and scheduling organization and efficiency. And those are not my strengths. Um, and so, you know, then I started, like, there started to be um, like, started to research and read and connect with people in the community and, and see that, okay, there's other ways you can have a flower-based business. And so I um, started toe dipping into growing for market. So I just had these little beds tucked in in our yard, you know, all just kind of expanded. I just dig, you know, a couple extra feet into the flower beds and was able to grow quite a few flowers like that. And there's a little flower shop in town at that point that would buy from us. And, um, I had a little roadside stand and that was, that felt really joyful. So I thought like, Oh, okay, this is the thing I want to do. So when we bought our farmer, we are here. You know, I like jumped in feet first, actually so feet first. Like I look back and just like shake my head. I can't believe I did that, but I actually sold, we moved in, in July, but that whole first summer was just about getting the place livable. So we bought, you buy the most, the most land you can, and don't worry about the house. <laughs> so we bought the 10 acres in the exact area that we dreamed about living. And the house is in 1986, 1200 square foot double wide. Yeah. So as you can imagine, 1986 was pretty, it was pretty classy at that point. <laughs> so we spent the summer trying to get it like cleaned up and painted and floored and and livable. It wasn't like it was not livable. That sounds like it was like one of those right. awful like trash. It wasn't. It was just really worn out and kind of smelled. It was livable, uh, but it was also 1986. So that's already it was 1986. Right. Like everything, <laughs> everything was brown. Everything was brown. Brown cabinets, brown carpet, brown. We had the like, you know, the cool uh what is it called? You know, like the brown like wood paneling. Like oh yeah, we have it here. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. So we have that, you know, just, yeah. So we spent the summer, the first summer here getting just the place livable and getting moving it, moved in and downsizing everything else. Well then, but I had this like flower dream. I was going to do this thing. So I went ahead and that, I think it was January, February sold subscriptions, CSA subscriptions for the flowers that I was going to be selling that summer, like horse carts, <laughs> Little, I read, little bit I read this on your Instagram, like a deep gulp moment. Oh, right? it's just like, 
what did I do? And I don't even think I realized, like, I just, I think I had, you know how, when you don't know that you don't know, like, I don't think I knew what I had bit off. So anyways, that summer was, um, it worked, it worked. We, it absolutely worked. Um, but again, a really big learning curve and recognizing that because sorry, um, Hannah, you had to like, you had pre-sold these and then you had to figure out how to, how to grow them on those. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, it was a little bit, I mean, actually it, it yeah, it, it worked out. We were, I was able to uh, like, you know, purchase from other flower farmers yeah. to kind of round things out, but it was definitely a, hmm, like rethinking these things, but it was a great opportunity. I partnered with a little business in town. They were the very first people that ever like sold my flowers and they, they were our CSA pickup spot, which opened up like a lot of opportunities in the community because people would see our flowers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we went from, from kind of like this wedding designer to like, oh, I'll be a market farmer to recognizing again too, that like is, is the amount of, I mean, like you, you know, like how hard farmers work to produce the crops they produce. And it was just like this, like kind of checkpoint, like is the, is the value of the money that we're going to make from the hustle that's required? Is this worth it? Is this really what we want to invest our time in? Is this really worth the energy that it's, it's going to take? And again, it was that like, is this my strength? And it, Mm -hmm. it wasn't. And so from there, I just had toe dipped into teaching workshops and it was the very first workshop that I taught. That was just this huge aha moment for me that, okay, this is where there's this perfect, like, you know, you talk about being in your element. Like that was where I realized it was in my element. That was where I realized that I had the strength to shine in that. And instead of trying to like buffer up all of my weaknesses, it actually, it it put me in a place where my strengths could lead, um, Mm. which really was about teaching and connection and gathering people. And so, yeah, for the last few years before the pandemic, that was kind of our focus was how can we um, gather people around, you know, with flowers as, as the tool that we gather around, which they're pretty, pretty epically wonderful um, Mm -hmm. element to get to gather people around. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's just been, it's just been this really big peeling away. Um, Years ago, I took, Actually, it was five years ago. I took Strengths Finder, and that was really pivotal at that point too. I don't know how familiar you are with Strengths Finder. Mm-hmm. It's it's another one of those. I love. I'm kind of. I wouldn't say obsessed. I'm just fascinated by personality tests. Yeah. And just the insights they give us to ourselves and our interactions with others. So Strengths Finder, um, it really kind of looks at like what are the things that you're naturally adept at, and how do you capitalize on those. And lead with those instead of constantly be trying to kind of drag drag your along with your weaknesses. Mm. And so when I took that, I was at a really pivotal moment. I was really excited and jazzed up about jumping into entrepreneurship and running this family farm. And like I couldn't wait. And so I took Strengths Finder, and I was like really hoping there would be like this secret like secret wealth of um, skill for small business that I just didn't see. Like you know, organization or like I had leadership or something, you know, that I had hidden deep within. And what it came back with was empathy and connectedness and relating and um, just that, that capacity of connecting people. It actually was kind of really disappointed at first. Like, Mm -hmm. that's it. Like, 
I should probably just go back to teaching the, like the, like de- developer was another one of my strengths. So we talk, it was really this, like looking at like connecting with people and knowing how people connect to each other and helping people along in the next steps, like helping them develop, you know, whatever skill or, or quality it is. And so I really felt like, well, that's it. Like I should go back to teaching. What am I doing running a small business? Like I don't really have what it takes, but it took a little while for me, kind of like filed that in the back of my head, took a little while for me. It was really that first workshop. That was that aha moment that, oh, wait, this is what it means to lead with my strengths. This is what it means to step in a place where there's that match between passion and like kind of natural like flow and skill. Um, so yeah, that, that was a really, I don't know, that's been a really big process. And that's really kind of ultimately what drove the growing kindness project too. Um, because I I think I mentioned, I grew up, you know, we, I grew up in a little tiny logging town. You may know of it now because of a famous movie called twilight. Um, yeah. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. people are like, oh, oh, I know where that's at now. You used to tell people before twilight, you'd be like, I grew up in Forks City, like, huh? where yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, out past Port Angeles. Like, huh? Where? <laughs> um, so tiny little community, tiny, tiny community. And I don't know if it was, sometimes I attribute it to that. I don't know if it was that, or if it was like family, like culture, um, or if it was just like personal, like just, this is how I'm hardwired. Um, but my, my dad is the kind of guy, like if you pull up, like at the gas station next to my dad, by the time you're both done pumping your gas, like he'll know your kids' names and totally. where your where your people are from, and mm-hmm. he just has this um, incredible capacity to connect with people wherever he goes. And I I don't know if that rubbed off on me or if it's genetic or if it's just the 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 byproduct of always having lived in small towns. Like in a small town, you always you know everybody, you greet everybody, you talk with a grocery store cashier. Mm-hmm. Um, so connectedness is just really important to me in a sense of community and sense of belong and. So when I got married and moved away, you know, my husband and I moved several times and we were in kind of relatively smaller communities, but we were young and newlyweds and kind of just starting out super busy with our careers. And so we didn't really have that like really super strong sense of connectedness within our community. So when I started growing flowers in our, our first little one acre place, um, I suddenly had flowers to share and it was really important to me that we had some kind of sense of connection in our community. And my kids were really little at that time. And I really wanted them also to feel confident and comfortable in like intergenerational connections. Like I wanted them to be able to be around seniors and there to be an ease with that. And so when the kids were really tiny, we started going down to long-term care and just um, taking flowers. Like I can remember so distinctly Emmett, our middle son was like the roly poliest, chubbiest little guy. Like he, I mean, he was just a beefcake to hold on to. So I've got him in one arm, you know, under one arm and Eli was pretty shy. So he had to hold my, you know, that like messenger style purse. So he had to hold my, like my straps on my purse on the other side. And I have this bouquet in my hand and I didn't even really know, you know, what we were going to do when we got there, but it's like, we'll just go take flowers. And The thing that I learned in that moment is that flowers gave me the courage to step out um, in ways that I don't think I would have had otherwise. They were the kind of the catalyst, like that safety net, not that I could hide behind, but they gave me something to reach out with. It was a was was a Yeah, It really was. And I, I joke now, but I really am like, if someone can 
can disprove this. Like I, I, I really truly want to hear it that there's nothing that opens doors and opens hearts and just softens people. There's three things that can do it that I've seen kind of an equivalent measure is if you walk in the room with a baby, you know, people that have just a natural soft, yes. like even the gruffest, you know, yep. um, people, like you walk in a room with a baby, there's just a softening there. Same happens with a puppy. Like if you walk in a room with a puppy, like same people and are naturally like gravitate towards that and welcome connection and conversation mm-hmm. and flowers. Yeah. I just, I have yet to walk into a room and it not be the catalyst for connection. Like they're just such an instantaneous icebreaker, whether or not you're gifting them to the person you're, we're walking in to see like anyone who is around them just enters into the joy of them. And they, Oh, th- those are sweet peas. My grandma used to grow sweet peas or, Oh, I you know it's my favorite color. You know, just, they're, they're just such a natural conversation starter and they kind of disarm everybody. Like our, our walls kind of come down a little bit. So that was, you know, the first summers where we just had a few little bouquets, we would take them in and like leave them in the little main lobby area for anybody passing by to enjoy. Well then flash forward five years and one more little boy later Hmm. and we're here on our farm. And it was the first year. And I had sold all those CSA subscriptions and I had no idea how many flowers I was going to get. No idea what my marketing plan was still had little, little kids. So like my capacity to actually like get out and hustle flowers was really minimal. And it also, you know, to be honest, my goal always was that I could do this thing that I loved and it paid for itself. And that there was a little bit extra to do something meaningful. It wasn't like that. I had a a hard number that we had to hit each month to put groceries on the table. And I realized that that is an absolute privilege, but I also feel like I, I always want to be transparent about that because that is a different model. It's a very different model than, than when you're trying to really like make ends meet with your side business. And so, um, here we were the first, you know, big summer of growing and I had like struck out and failed and not failed. I I don't like the word fail. Like I'm trying to learn to say like struck out and had big challenges and, you know, big learning opportunities that first season. And I didn't have stuff to put in the ground. Like I thought I would is what the long story short was. And it was getting really close to when we needed to be planting. And I was really panicking because we'd sold all those. I wouldn't say all those subscriptions, but it was a decent amount. I was 15 bouquets a week, um, which is a great starter amount, but also if you know what you're doing and you know how to grow flowers. Right. And so kind of in a panic, I just started mad scrambling. And at about that point, it was it was actually probably about this time of year and most of the Dahlia sales were done, but I was able to kind of like scrape and source and find these little sales here and there. And it had some really generous local farmers who, um, I had one farmer who was relocating. And so she sold me all of her Dahlia tuber stock. And so it was enough to like get, get the field planted. So we planted 500 Dahlias the first year. So we went from like 10 plants to like 500. And with that, we went with this like incredible abundance of blooms. And so it was all like every mistake led to there's this being this just like incredible abundance of blooms and we didn't have them all sold. And so it was just this huge opportunity before me that we could get them out in our community. And so instead of taking like one little vase to long-term care, you know, for the table, the boys would load up with me and we would take their, um, radio flyer wagon 
Hmm. and load it full of flowers. They had the squeakiest wheel. They still talk about the squeaky wheel. Squeakiest wheel. The hinge was actually broken. So we were like pulling it was twine, which <laughs> steering steering a radio flyer wagon with twine is actually really challenging. Uh, but we would go to the long-term care with the thing loaded and we would hand out bouquets to everybody we met. So they, we didn't even actually, I didn't even have time or capacity to make bouquets. They were just buckets of flowers. So we would just like, here, pick out the ones you love. Um, and they would, they would, my, my oldest would, you know, like go through and pick out the flowers for them and then hand them a bouquet. But we learned so many things in that. Um, I, I went with the hope that it would cultivate connection. And I went with the hope that it would bring some joy to somebody, but what I never could have guessed. And like, it still gives me goosebumps when I think about it, because I think we live in such a culture of scarcity. It's scary to give and it's scary to give freely, um, especially if we don't really trust and believe that what we have is enough and who we are is enough. And I, I went expecting that we would give, but I learned in that process that that Anne Frank quote that no one ever became poor by giving. It was always so abundantly enriching for me. I always felt like I walked out like on cloud nine. I felt like I walked out just having been given the the greatest gift, you know, to get to see people's smiles and like hear their stories of their gardens. And just, it was the most joyful experience. And it was a great experience for my kids. And I won't like, I can't, pull the wool over anybody's eyes and say, it was the easiest thing. They loved it. They, you know, they, they knew exactly what to do. Like my kids are definitely quieter, more introvert kiddos. So it pushed them out of their comfort zone to do it in a good way, in a really good way. And they would always come back happy and like, like that satisfaction of having done something for somebody. So it was just such a joyful experience. And it, it reminded me all over again, that we never grow poor by giving. Mm -hmm. And over and over every week we went, we learned that lesson. And then this thing happened that made me realize like there's an even greater reach possible. And that was that people started coming up to us that we weren't giving flowers to. We typically give to the residents. Occasionally, if we had extras, we would you know, pass them out to staffing or you know whoever was there. But family members who were there visiting or administration would come up and thank us and say, that just made my day. And it was kind of like a little bit of a quandary for me at first. Like, wait, we didn't give you flowers though. Like we didn't gift you anything. But what it was, was they had the gift and the privilege of engaging in and being a part of it. And and as as an observer, and I know that like we talk about all the time, like the world needs more happy stories. And what we saw in that was that there was a lot of power in inviting people into the story, not just to be an observer, um, not just to be the only, just to be the one receiving flowers. And so that gave me um, the courage to start sharing the story on social media, like, cause it was joyful. And like the world, it, they, they just like, I had to add another page of something joyful on social media. And I didn't expect that people would, were going to start reaching out to us and say like, I'm so inspired to do this, but I don't want to grow flowers. Like what's your advice? Um, or, Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. I have you know, this growing in my yard, I can take it and give it to my neighbor. And to me, it was kind of a surprise because the act of gifting flowers is so, um, there's nothing new or novel about that, right? I'm sure as long as flowers themselves have been around, people have been gifting them in kindness and goodwill. I mean, there's a whole 
language of flowers, like we know that they have significant meaning. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was the simplicity of it that I think was a surprise to me. Do you think there really truly is power in simplicity? Like make it simple, but make it significant. And it was such a simple thing, like just gifting flowers. And yet it was so significantly impacting the recipients and us as the givers and anyone who entered into the story. And so that really kind of that. So then flash forward after we'd planted that first, the first 500 Dahlia tubers. And I was standing in my barn that, that next spring dividing them all like the first big divide and recognizing that what I was holding was actually the key to being able to empower more people to do what we were doing. We had so many people that were inspired by that, but we just realized, you know, like the boys and I could only tow the little wagon so far. Like we and it could only go so often. Like there's only so much capacity, like geographically and time limitation. But what if we empowered other people to do the same thing? And so that's how the Growing Kindness Project was born was we opened up our farm and said, anyone, you know, local who wants to come and get dye tubers, um, we'll give them to you with one expectation that at some point in the summer, you harvest a bouquet and go give it to someone and just in kindness as an act of kindness and goodwill. And the response was incredible. Um, I think we had a hundred visitors on the farm that day. And then the thing that happened next was then people were reaching out to us through social media from all over the country saying, how can I be a part of this? And so we realized that there were kind of two layers of opportunity. One was to equip people with actual resources but the other was to equip them with education around it. You know, like there's a lot available out there now, you know, like it's more and more about, you know, growing cut flowers, but people just wanted a little bit of support, you know, like just give me some guidance and support. And so that's um, how the project got lifted off. So that was three years ago that we opened our farm that day. And um, we just submitted our 501c3 application in December. So we're waiting on that approval. We now have, I need to, I need to double check. I think we were at 1500 members worldwide. Oh my and gosh. we have a hundred ambassadors across the United States. And these are all, it's like, it, I told Shane, I'm like, if I could gather like the people that I, if I could just go like open a catalog and pick out, like, here are the coolest people that I want to spend time with and like linked together. These are them. These are the people. This team is incredible. They're, they're people who've come to the project who have a shared passion for community outreach. Um, they're people that are, some of them are master gardeners and they're like, I'm already growing flowers. Perfect. Like I know what to do with them now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so excited to, you know, like get ideas and be inspired in this and cheer, be cheered on in community. And there are people who are like, I've never planted a flower before, but I really feel strongly about giving back in my community. And this year, especially. So we, last year we launched the project nationally at Team Flower, um, which is an incredible um, education organization and community in the flower world. So I was invited to share from the main stage and launch the project there in January. And when when we did that, you know, it was just like just a complete leap of faith. Like would anybody, you know, come alongside and join us? And we, you know, it just, it grew so, it's grown so, so, so quickly, which is incredible. And there, like I said, I can't, I can't explain enough, like what an incredible group of people they are. They're, they're people whose mission is to give back in their community. So we launched in January and then the pandemic hit and it just Mm -hmm. felt like the timing was exactly what it was supposed to be. Like the world needed more flowers. They needed more kindness. And we needed, I think we just, it feels, I think we all want to know how to give back in our community. Like we all, we all want to give back in our 
community. We all desperately long for real meaningful connection in our communities. And flowers are just this incredibly accessible tool and catalyst to make it happen. And so it's just the project has really been about empowering and educating people and supporting them in growing flowers and then cheering each other on and getting out in our communities and using those as as acts, you know, as, as a catalyst for change and connection. So it's been really, really exciting to take, watch it take off. Oh my gosh. Which is, yeah. Which is why I've been out in the bar dividing oh, hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds of <laughs> dye tubers, because that's what keeps the project going. Oh my gosh. Well, Deanna, you literally covered all of my questions. <laughs> Oh, did I see? That was so amazing. No, I I just keep talking and talking and talking. (laughs) No, I I mean, I could literally walk away from talking to you right now. I feel so enriched by your conversation. Uh, Truly, just by listening to you. I just, as as you were talking, I was thinking just of a couple of things. It was funny when you were talking about your dad. My dad grew up on a farm. My dad is very similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, he just goes up to the person and then they've had a conversation and then he's like, oh yeah, Bob, blah, 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 blah. You know, he's coming over later to look at the fence or whatever. I mean, random meetings of just a connector constantly and, and, mm-hmm. and has no, it was funny when you were talking about farm, here's an, a, a hypothesis I'm going to say, because my dad grew up on a farm and because of that, and as many hands had to pull together, you know, farm life was like truly based on community like mm-hmm. everyone needed everybody. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder if a little bit of growing up in that has allowed him and enabled him and your dad to not need an icebreaker to go talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just no like, reservations. Yeah. No or not reservations, reservations, but no like intimidation <laughs> with it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause my dad doesn't think anything of going to ask whoever to borrow that, you know, whatever that is. Oh, I'm just going to go ask mm-hmm. him if I could borrow that rake, but dad, you don't know him. Well, that's okay. He's, you know, he lives 10 houses down from me. I'm sure it's fine. To him, it's almost like community is a different thing. It's just, that's just what we do, you know? And and I love mm-hmm. that that is a model. That was a model to me. And so to me, it's like, how can we be more connected? How can all of us lean on each other? Because we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we really connect? Like, with social creative, it's such a, I have such a, my, the purpose of it is to connect people. Absolutely. To people together. Yeah. I just, I was thinking as you were talking about your dad, just like that hypothesis of coming from a place where you had to have community, you depended on it. And that kind of led him to be so open to be connected to all sorts yeah. of different people, uh, you know? And I think it's, it's this also, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, you go, you go, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> it seems like too, with that, with that comes this, just, you know, we talk about like a muscle, you know, like it's a muscle and like, that's my fear with the pandemic right now is that, that we haven't exercised that muscle of just those momentary connections and, and those deeper connections in our community and conversations and, and, and moments of meaningful connection. Like I, I hope that we can jump right back into exercising that and, and building it. Cause I think it's one of, it's like a, like a language, you know, to be fluent in it, we have to keep practicing. And I think that our, our dad's generation, you know, they, they, they spent their whole lives being well-versed in it. So it's second nature to them. That's something that I want. Mm-hmm. I want to um, hold on and be intentional about. Totally. Totally. The other thing I just was thinking about, you know, with, first of all, I just want to say the growing kindness project is mind blowing. It's it's an, it's the most incredible um, ripple effect I've ever seen. And I love it. And for social creative, I talk a lot about 
ripple. Like in, in my language, I use the word ripple a lot because we do this thing called beauty begets beauty. And the idea was the ripple effect of like, I do something that produces beauty in something else. And then you share that with someone else because not only is the giver experiencing that beauty, but the recipient is experiencing that beauty and then you pass it on. So whatever you're experiencing in our, in our events, I don't want them to stay within the four walls. It needs to go beyond the four walls out into your neighborhood, your community, to the people that you know, so that they can pass it on. And that's what growing kindness is. You're using flowers. I'm using whatever it is that we have for beauty begets beauty, but it's, it's using some sort of token, some, some, something to produce that, that beauty and that emotion, the joy. And I, I was just looking at your website and first of all, it's dialed in your ambassadors. <laughs> I mean, I was like, holy crap, Thank you. you have just, it is impeccably done. There is organization to it and just with your board members and all that stuff. It's, it's quite impressive, but it's such a beautiful, especially nationwide, it, you know, yeah, worldwide, 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 yeah. Yeah. worldwide. Yeah. it's incredible. And it's just such a, a beautiful example of how one single solitary gifting can can ripple out so far, well beyond what you Absolutely. probably imagine. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Last yeah. year, I, I just have to share this. Really, I'll try to be really quick in this. No, year, yes, just please. an example of that that was so so encouraging to me. It actually, you know, the the story came back to me at a time when I needed to hear it the most, you know, you know, I mean, I know, you know, that hard, Mm -hmm. the hard work of when you are building something from the ground up. And there are days where you're like, is this really impacting anybody? Is this really make like, is this really like worth the blood and sweat and tears Mm -hmm. that's going into building it? And then right at the right moment, you hear those, that feedback that just um, mm-hmm. makes you just be inspired to keep going. And so I won't, I won't share names because I don't know if she wants me to share her name, but one of our uh, members, she, she was following us on social media and this, the, so, okay, backstory last year we took, so the last three years we've been taking, we call it the holiday cheer campaign and take um, centerpieces to our food bank at Christmas because everybody deserves beauty and like that that cheer and specialness during the holidays. And when things are financially difficult, like that's a, that's a luxury that's difficult to access. And we really wanted people to be able to have that. So started taking centerpieces. Well, I didn't realize, but this, this person came to me later and said, um, she enrolled in the project as a gardener. And um, then later on signed up this last December to um, come and help me build the centerpieces for this year. Um, so we did 900 this year. So we had, and we were, you know, of course, working with like limitations of social distancing. So it was very logistically interesting this year um, to make it happen. But we did, we, we were able to pull together with lots of help, 900 centerpieces for our community food bank. Mm-hmm. And this incredible gal showed up to volunteer and help. And while we're working, you know, socially distance across the table, she was sharing with me that, yeah, three years ago, I was at the food bank volunteering. And I saw these flowers and I thought they were incredible and beautiful. And I was volunteering because I've been a client at the food bank. I'm in a season of life where I needed that support. And so after I helped and, and did my, you know, jobs for the day, I was one of the last people that went through the line 
and I had no expectation. I kind of forgotten about the flowers and I went through the line and got, you know, all the things that you get the holiday give, you know, you get your ham and your yams and all those things. And then someone at the end handed me flowers Mm -hmm. and I couldn't believe that they were for me. And she said, I went right home and she didn't have social media. She's like, "I, I got social media so I could start following the project and, and learn more about it. And so then to this and flash forward, you know, to two years later, she's here helping at the campaign to create all these centerpieces for people. And, you know, she talks a lot about that kindness heals and that it's been pivotal for her. She said, it's absolutely been pivotal. So she planted a garden last year and for the first time gave flowers and said, it's been empowering for helping overcome anxiety, you know, just to have that simple thing in your hand, you know, to, to kind of be the catalyst for connection and she applied um, to be an ambassador and she's one of our Washington state ambassadors now. And she's just the kindest, biggest hearted person, but it's just this like ripple that I had no idea, you know, that it would invite her into connection and community in the way that it did. Not only, you know, not only was the, for the flowers, a gift to her, but like it invited her into this opportunity for connection and community and, and getting to enter into the joy of gardening also. So it's really incredible to see like our team, like I cannot talk enough about how incredible the team is. And we have people, that's the, really the beauty of the team is that nobody, everyone is so uniquely different. And that's one thing that we've really tried to hold on to in the project is that we don't have a lot of set guidelines for like, you can share flowers in long-term care, or you can do it at the food bank. Everybody looks out in their community and sees a different need. And that's, what's really amazing. Every individual, I mean, we have, you know, like in our area, we have several ambassadors now and yet they all see different unique needs. Like I had no idea we had a women's shelter 20 minutes from my house, mm-hmm. but one of our ambassadors last year saw that and saw that need and took that under her wing and made weekly deliveries for the women there. You know, just everybody sees a different need and that's why um, the capacity for it to really like reach into communities in really empowering ways is so so exciting um, and incredible. And yeah, it's just, it's the best team ever. We, we can never know the full impact of one singular gesture. I mean, Mm-mm. just yeah. even in that story, how that tiny little gesture of receiving flowers at the very end, almost a, like a bonus gift, right? And how much mm-hmm. that impacted mm-hmm. her And now flash forward to how she can do to others as was done to her. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. I just, yeah. Yeah. I I just, like you said, it's a a ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a gift. I feel it's such an honor to get to, um, I don't know, just to get to connect with these people. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's an absolute, it's an absolute honor. They're incredible bunch. And I love that that's, you know, like that, that's, that is, that is intentional. Like that is what I hope that what, that, that what we're putting out there in the world and, and that, because it appeals to those kind of hearts, you know, those really tender giving like minded hearts. So it's just this like opportunity to like gather those people all together and link arms and a shared goal has been really empowering. So, yeah. Oh my word. Thank you for sharing all that. That is, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's very incredible. I'm going to, I know there's one person who's probably been listening to this entire podcast thinking, did I win the contest? (laughs) So I want to announce her really quick. So we held a giveaway 
where you guys are giving a set of three Dahlia tubers the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, my very favorites. Amazing. Yes. Tubers. Will you tell us a little bit about the three varieties that you selected? Amy, you're going to put me on the spot. I remember because ah, like they're was, all my favorites. It was, no, I really do. Uh, it was Cafe LA, yep. Sweet Nath- Nathalie and yep. Peaches and cream, cream, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So those three go so beautiful together. They're like blushy. They're, oh, they're just like, oh, I, I know that lots of people love the like really vibrant, like saturated neon dahlias. And I have to say, I am not that person. Yeah. Um, I really love the like rich tonal, um, saw and like soft yes. colors. And so m- my personal favorites are those like really soft colors. So yes, they, those three are hands down my three favorites, peaches and cream. I will say it was like an underdog for me. Everyone's like Gaga over it. And I was like, eh, I'm not really sold. And then I grew a lot of it last year, which little insight. There's a lot, there's a lot available in the, um, our daily tuber sale. I know that's one that nice. lots oh, of people good. have been gunning for this year. I'm so worried. I'm so but, worried. Everything is going to sell out. <laughs> I was telling no, you. it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so those, those three are just like there. Cafe LA is very like, everyone calls her the queen. Like she's, it's a very recognized, but it's just the, the, petal structure on it. It's considered a dinner plate dahlia, but it's not like one of those like herking, like, I don't know what to do with this. It's so big. Like it's a very manageable design size. And then sweet, um, sweet Nathalie is like, basically if cafe LA was like the diva sister, sweet Nathalie is like the, like down to earth, but like equally gorgeous, but like very sturdy and productive. And, uh, she's the same color tone, but just a lot, a lot more productive and but like just real, like awesome stem length and strength. And yeah, just yeah. there's, there's the three together or it's stunning. So that's yeah, cool. but don't worry. We have, like I said, we're stocking. So the tuber sale, that's what we're working towards right now. And the reason why the tuber sale is a really big deal is because the, for that's what sustained the growing kindness project. So it started out first with us just giving away Dahlia tubers. Then it started, um, then last year we gave out with 75 ambassadors across the country. So we each sent them a growing kit with 20 Dahlia tubers. And um, those are just gifted from our farm. And then last year, a hundred percent of the proceeds from the, from the Dahlia tuber sale went directly to funding the startup. So like just getting the project operation expenses covered, getting yeah. us up and off the ground with some systems. And then this year, um, we're donating 50% of the proceeds from the Growing Kindness Project. And I wish it could be a hundred, but with the pandemic last year, we didn't right. host classes or workshops. And so in order for our farm to just sustain this year and be able to cover insurance and right. you just, just keep going, yeah. we are going to, we're donating 50% of the sales from the tuber, the tuber sales. So it's, it's still a really great opportunity to not only like buy premium Dahlia tubers, and I, I might be partial that I think the ones that we grow are really gorgeous. Like I, yes. I said, I oh think they're really word. unique, cool yes. varieties. They are and- gorgeous. We will make sure you completely sell out. Oh, thank you. I know. And actually that's my, like my, I will say that's like, honestly, like a secret fear I have is that people are going to be disappointed that they didn't get what they wanted because Dahlia addiction is kind of a real thing. Like people are dead serious about getting their Dahlias and we're one of the later sales in the year. So we're really, I'm really hopeful that people um, are able to get what they want. The trick is, is just to like, we open the store at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So be, be ready at 9am Pacific time um, to, 
to pick your favorites and, and get checked out. But we do have a really good supply. You know, all of our tubers have held really well. We trucking away on getting the last of them up. The really cool thing is this last year, I added some new varieties to them that are not in the shop yet. So if you go on our website, that's not all of them. We've got some other really good ones coming oh, that are going to yeah. be listed soon. So, all right. Well, I'm yeah. going to three, two, one, and I'm going to announce okay. our winner. I'm sure she's just like, oh, who is it? Because of course they had to listen to this episode in order to find out if they won. So our runner. Here we go. Is Samantha W from Simply Samantha Creates. She is in Yay. California. So Samantha, if you are listening Yay. to this, contact me, get in touch with me. I will put my email in the notes on the podcast, but congratulations. You just got three incredible tubers. There Yay. you go. Yay. That's so exciting. Flowers to enjoy and share. Yes. Flowers to enjoy. All right. Well, I mean, I honestly feel like I could talk to you for the next two hours. So oh, man, yeah. We'll talk all we'll talk all the things. We'll talk all the things. I have two, two things. We do a thing called post process, which is I go back to your Instagram and I find a post that I want to know a little bit more about. Okay. Um, that I would like you to share a little bit more on sort of the thoughts and emotions behind what prompted you to post it and a little okay. bit, just share a little bit more. And it's interesting because in the beginning of the podcast, you did mention your young youthful marriage Yes, um, <laughs> and you've been married for 20 years, right? Almost, almost 20 almost years 20 in years. April. So mm-hmm. Going on 20. Oh, in April, that's just right around the corner. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to read you the post you wrote and I would love to hear just a little bit more, but this was the post you wrote in case people have not seen it. So you wrote, we wouldn't make it. That's what people told us when we told them we were getting engaged. Granted, I was 18 and we'd both been out of high school just seven short months. You'd better get a job so you can support yourself in case he leaves. You're too young to be really in love. You should probably live together first. It's supposed to be wise counsel for such young and apparently clueless kids. And we were young, just 17 when we started dating, 18 when we actually got engaged, and 20 when we got married. Actually. I was 19 and turned 20 on our honeymoon, but we weren't clueless. We knew how much attention and effort a healthy marriage would take. We knew we shared the same values, goals, dreams, and interests, and we knew that forever meant forever. They said we needed to grow up first. Instead, we got married and grew up together and grew together. This year, we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary. I just love that post. And I would love to know what now knowing what you know, and the words that you chose, would you feel the same if your kids came to you saying the same thing? (laughs) It's such a great question. We've actually, we've had that conversation so many times. Like what if our kids decide they're getting married that young? We were really unusual kids. Um, and that sounds like in a really bad way. Shane and I were just both really weirdly mature at our age. We both, we just had really clear shared goals. Um, and so it floored people that didn't know us mm. that like, what in the world? Like you just got out of high school. This is ridiculous. This isn't going to last a day. In fact, Shane, at that point, he was working with a crew of five people and all of them told him like, this is a joke. Like you're guys not going to make it two years. Yeah. And actually, ironically, we're going to be 20 years and they all 
uh, not their, you know, their marriages are, are not, you know, they, they didn't. It's, it's terror. It's terrifying to think on one hand, like what if our kids made that choice for themselves at the same age? But I think that it was, it's such an individual thing. Right. We, we, like we were really strangely mature. And, and so it wasn't, um, you know, I think for a lot of 18 year olds, it'd be like the dumbest thing that you Mm. could possibly do. And so that it's, yeah, I I don't know what the answer would be. You know, if our kids did get in a serious relationship at that age, would we encourage or discourage that level of commitment that early on? And I suppose it probably depends on their personality and where they are and their understanding of the commitment they're undertaking. Yeah. People ask us all the time, like, what if your kids decide to get married that young? And I think that for the right, you know, for the right personalities with the right understanding of marriage and the right understanding of each other and the right, not that we knew, like I look back and I'm like, we didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. Like you, we still had to figure out you know, how to communicate and how to, you know, we, we literally did grow up together. I mean, mm. I was going to college. Shane was just starting his career, you know, all the pieces, the best advice that we did get, which we were really adamant about too, was that I was dead set on finishing college and like pursuing my career. And Shane was a hundred percent, you know, behind supporting me that he put me through college in those early years. And so like supporting each other in our goals and dreams and waiting to start a family um, was really important to us. So even though we got married young, we were married over six years going on Mm. seven, which still makes us young, but we did have some like really good time to get established. And like I said, we were really, we were really kind of weirdo kids. Like Shane was already buying our first house by the time that most kids are like maybe buying a car in college, you know? So there was a lot of maturity that was not typical of that at that age for most, most people, I think. And because we had really great examples of marriage, our parents, you know, both really like they, they didn't make marriage look easy. Um, like it was just a walk in the park all the time, but they, they made marriage look joyful. Mm. They made it look joyful. And so we had that example, you know, to, to lean into, um, and to turn to and wisdom. So, yeah, but yeah, I would say that, I mean, I would say we're like hitting our stride in year 20. Oh man. Oh gosh. I know I was going to ask, are you in your third wind? Because there is, you know, the seven year mark. And even like I, Jake and I were at 13 years and mm-hmm. people were like, and I, I've heard from other couples when they hit the 13 years, it was like, oh gosh, 13 years was hard. And I will just say 13 years is hard. It was like, God. Yeah. Yeah. But- I think there's, I think it just depends. Like there's years, it just kind of like seasons of growth. Yes. Um, and it, I think they hit, maybe they, maybe they hit predictably for me. Yeah. It was definitely like, there was some like, you know, uh, compounding factors, like in the, mm-hmm. the seasons that were really tough, like the, right. you know, the year that I had resigned my teaching position was staying at home with two kids had postpartum depression. Gosh. We hit the recession. Shane's job was like, what? Every week was like, is he going to have a job next week? You know, like, yeah, like those are like super compounding factors, but also too, we were really in a season of figuring out how to communicate. You know, we, right. we didn't, we, actually it was at year seven we read the five love languages which you know I, I know everybody Love that. You know, talks about that book all that but it's so like it's like Shane after we read it he's like it's kind of like well duh but also like oh duh you know like like well duh and oh duh you know? yeah like, of course you know what's interesting Jake and I just took we did it at the beginning of our marriage and we just took it just recently 
we mm-hmm. took the test again and our love languages changed. Oh, <gasps> that's fascinating. I know. We should do it again. I'm curious. Yeah. Shane's pretty diehard acts of service, which yeah. is why it works really well that I have a farm and, or that we have a farm in this business and and the the project and the project has really kind of become the focus. The business is really, really becoming smaller and smaller all the time, you know, as the project um, needs more of my energy and attention. It's where my heart is, but he, yeah, his love language is acts of service. And he absolutely like, he loves me very well. Yeah. He was out the other night in the dark, uh, in the rain, watching Dahlia tubers for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is a man I love. Yeah. Yeah. Knight in shining oh, armor or yes, exactly. one of the two. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into our mystery jar question. These are questions okay. that were written either by my children or I've a couple of them. So if you get one that includes bodily functions, that will be no problem for you, of course, well, because you have boys. So three boys, bring it on. <laughs> okay. So here is your question. Name one time in your life that changed the way you prioritize things. That's a, that's a heavy one. That's a big one. That's a big, okay. That's definitely not from your kids. Maybe oh, I'm going to have farts right no. now. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Oh. We might not have brain energy for that one. That's a good one. It's an incredible question. Okay. Here's a, here's a different one. We'll do this one. What do you do after we, so this was written by my kids. What do you do after we go to bed for them? Oh. What do parents do when the kids go to bed? My kids, to bed? what way kids think we do is sit on the couch and eat ice cream and watch movies because they've <laughs> caught us a few times doing that. Uh, what actually happens again, like it has been, it has been a really, it's been a season of absolute, like all out pretty much since December, you know, when we were doing that nonprofit application and the holiday cheer campaign and then the enrollment launch. And then it's just, it's been a pretty big hustle. And yeah. so after my kids go to bed, I am on my laptop, like answering emails, trying to write content, um, trying to connect people like this, is a big part of the project. Like we have an incredible contributor team. So we have these industry leaders from all over the nation who come and teach the team in the Grind Kennis project. So a lot of just connecting with people and setting up schedules. And right. so that's what I do. It's really exciting. That's yeah. Amazing. Are you a night? Are you a night person? I pretty naturally am. I kind of yeah. force myself to be a morning person just because with the farm and the kids, you really right. can't not get up and get going pretty early, which right. means I don't function on a lot of sleep right now. We're trying to figure that out. If someone has the golden ticket answer, you know yeah. how to like homeschool and juggle that schedule and get all the things done. Like I, that's the million dollar question. I would, well, I would gladly connect with them. Right. Yes. We'll keep you posted on that one. Yes. Do, when, when we find it. No, I just, I laugh because, uh, my, my husband is his brain function is fires so well in the morning. Mine is mm-hmm. not, it takes me a while mm-hmm. to wake up. We're opposites too. Yep. Yeah. And so I can, I can really like do a lot of good work at night. However, when you are going full calibers all the time, your brain kind of shuts off a little bit. And I always Mm -hmm. joke because I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, I am so exhausted. I can go for a really long time, but my brain as the minutes tick on into the night, you're like, oh gosh, I'm so tired. I don't actually know what I'm putting out right now. (laughs) I know. I actually, um, I, I wish, I wish I was really, and I I've tried, I've tried, I continue to sort of try 
to become a morning person because just the idea of, you know, like you, you, I think we are sharper, you know, when we're rested, it takes me a while to get up and get going too. But just that at night, it feels like it takes like four hours to do something that like, you know, when you're fresh and alert half the time, but the other day. I was sitting right here and like woke up at one in the morning with my laptop and, you know, like just the like sentence that just like, oh no. Okay. Note to self. This isn't working. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, whatever work you are doing at night, it's really, it's really going well because thank you. it's incredible to look in from afar and look at what you're doing and how you're impacting people and how those people are impacting other people. And it's just extraordinary. So I just want to encourage everyone to literally be online on March 20th. Yep. And I should throw this out there. This is a big piece for me that's like learning how to do because we've always for the last few years, just like we've sustained the project financially with what we could give from the farm. But now that the project's expound, you know, exploding, it's just our little farm income isn't enough. So if anybody was, you know, listening and maybe they're not a dahlia grower or maybe they don't have space to garden, but they're really inspired by the project and want to be part of it or want to support it. We do have a space on our website. If you want to make a donation just to help us support the people, we use those funds to provide scholarships um, to those who have financial need to help them get the education and resources that they need um, to be supported and be able to successfully grow flowers and reach out with flowers in their community. So if anybody wanted to connect that way, that's available on the website also. Yay. Okay. Well, we've had such an amazing conversation here and we're actually going to do a bonus episode so we can tackle some of the questions that came in from both of our audiences and uh, talk a little bit more in depth about dahlias for planting since we're coming up to spring in the planting season. So Deanna, thank you to you. We'll see you in the next episode. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, congratulations, Samantha W. How exciting. I can't wait for you to get in touch with us so we can send you those popular Dahlia tubers. And I don't know about you, but I loved that conversation. Oh my goodness. The whole time I was mesmerized. I was just, I barely said a word. I was taking in all of Deanna's words. I love what Growing Kindness Project is doing. Just spreading kindness. And it turns out, It's not a hard thing to do. We are all capable of it. What I love the most about all of these stories that are shared is they're threaded throughout a lifetime. Something big often starts from something small, like a squeaky wagon and an idea to share kindness with someone else. And you can hear from her stories of so many women being healed by kindness and then rippling it out to so many others. That's how we change things. So many can be impacted by one simple act of kindness. If you wanna hear more about Twig and Vine or the Growing Kindness Project, you can find out more information on Instagram at Growing Kindness Project or her website, growingkindnessproject.org. All of the information is in our show notes, so please take a look. And don't forget that Dahlia sale is right around the corner. It's Saturday, March 20th at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Do yourself a favor. Get that click finger ready and buy yourself some beauty. It supports Deanna 
it supports her farm, it supports Deanna's family, and it supports her mission to encourage, educate, and empower people to spread kindness all around the world. And one other thing I'm so excited to share with you, Social Creative Workshops has an event coming up on May 7. Circle that date in your calendar and get ready for a really special night. We're going to have watercolor from The Mint Gardener, lettering from Letters by Ellen, and special collaboration with Growing Kindness Project in Twig and Vine. Deanna's gonna come alongside us and give a little tutorial on flowers. And we also have the opportunity to give financially to her mission. It's gonna be so exciting and I cannot wait. More details to come for sure. So stay tuned to our Instagram channel at Social Creative Workshops, but you're not gonna wanna miss. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, Deanna, for being uh, just sharing openly your life and the awesome ways that you have brought joy to many people. And thank you to you, as always, for giving your time, listening in, and supporting and encouraging so many women that you hear on this podcast. The list of incredible women continues, I promise. So I'll catch you later in our next conversations. If you sent in Dahlia questions that you wanted answered in this episode, I encourage you to hold out until April because there is going to be a bonus episode all related to Dahlia's and getting them into the ground and helping them flourish for seasons to come. Stay tuned for that and thank you so much to Deanna for giving her expertise and knowledge. Make sure to subscribe and it'll be right there waiting for you when it goes live.